This is John Halsman, and welcome to our latest The Culture, where we end our look at the fascinating spaghetti westerns of Sergio Leone by looking at Once Upon a Time in the West, his 1969 masterpiece. And as the title suggests, Once Upon a Time in the West is both the ultimate fairy tale of the West and for Leone and his leaving of it, when the characters that he had we've spent so much time with in the Dollars trilogy and in this new Western go from being real to being myths. And this is where really he takes that moment in time where they become archetypes. Because in the end, the great thing about this movie is that finally all the stylistic ability of Leone has a theme that matches it. That one of the criticisms of the Dollars movies is their amorality or the fact that the stakes are so low. The best stakes probably come from a few dollars more where you have the motive of personal revenge of Colonel Mortimer and what John Maria Volante has done to his family in murdering Mortimer's brother-in-law and raping and murdering, raping his, his sister who then kills herself. And Mortimer exacts revenge in a personal way, which makes sense. In the first film, Fistful, there's almost nothing. It's just one samurai going between crime families. And in the third film, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, you have three amoral drifters, mercenaries, looking for personal gold. And although their interactions are fascinating, none of this has any real moral stakes. Well, finally, with Once Upon a Time in the West, Leone adds moral stakes to what's going on. And this, of course, finally, given his technical mastery, gives the film a meaning the others lack and propels it perhaps even beyond the dollar films because of this key fact. And the basic idea behind it is that the West needs civilizing the very people who lead to the West being civilized and Claudia Cardinale, the luminous Claudia Cardinale, jaw-droppingly beautiful in this in 1969, is the symbol of civilization, is civilization coming to the West. But the irony is in order to protect and secure civilization, you need gunfighters to protect you from other bad gunfighters. The baddie is played by the great Henry Fonda, who in this movie is Frank, becomes one of the movie's all-time greatest villains. Fonda was very much cast against type in the making of this. And you need two good bad guys, in effect, two good gunslingers, Charles Bronson taking the Clint Eastwood part, known as Harmonica, because he spends more time playing the harmonica than actually talking. And then Jason Robards, the bandit, Cheyenne with the heart of gold, who both loves and is loved by Jill McBain. And to win her over and protect her, these two come to her aid at the expense of Frank. But the point is that all three of these guys have to leave the scene, and in the end of the movie, they all do leave the scene one way or the other, leaving only Jill McBain there, because she is the West as a civilized entity. She brings with her prosperity, norms, civilization. And the irony is, and where this movie acquires its grandeur, is it's very similar. Leone has finally made a film worthy of his hero, John Ford, who made The Searchers. And of course, in that film, you have the great John Wayne go out and rescue um, his relative who's been kidnapped by Indians and brings her back to society. And only he as the tough man can do this. But in doing so, the great scene at the end, he comes to the door of, of his family, but doesn't enter into it because he's not really part of society. He's an outlying good force, but one that isn't needed anymore. Once he brings the woman, the daughter, the niece back to society, his role is done. 
and now civilization has to take over. And very similar to the searchers, Ford's masterpiece, Leone's masterpiece has the three gunslingers necessary to determine whether civilization comes to the West in the term in the form of the luminous Claudia Cardinale. But once civilization does come to the West, they're no longer needed. They either die or shove off. And so you have Harmonica, you have Frank, the great Henry Fonda part, and Cheyenne, the great Jason Robards, all leave the scene at the end of Claudia Cardinale, who regains her land, regains control, and civilizes the West. And what, whereas the other three are heroic or are villains, they're myths. They're not needed in the modern world. And the fairy tale can now begin because they can be ossified like a fly in amber. And you can move on from that and now get on with the business of living a modern life. And Leone captures this moment, this moment where the West goes from mythos to reality. And the very people he's interested in, these gunslingers, these men with no name, Harmonica Bronson here in this case, Eastwood in the earlier films, although fascinating, are no longer necessary. They've outlived their time precisely because they've been useful. And this great theme um, is laid upon the usual Leone style. He again, uh, this time again, he's like a kid in a candy store. After the success of the dollar movies, he finally has a real budget to go get those movie stars who in the earlier times, people like Charles Bronson and Henry Fonda had turned him down, hadn't wanted to work for such a low budget upstart. Well, now that he's made a name for himself, they come running. And so Once Upon a Time in the West has a feel of a kid in a candy store. It's filmed in uh, Spain and Italy, shot there as before. You see the old signs of Almeria in southern Spain. But it's also filmed in the Monument Valley of John Ford because Leone has, Leone has the budget to go do that. So he actually makes a Western that's partly set in the American West. And he has the budget to actually have a female character. Claudia Cardinale, as the widow Jill McBain, is the first realized female character in all of the Leone Spaghetti Westerns. Up to now, you've had only Madonnas and Whores, and, and this is a great and, and valid critique of Leone. He doesn't do women very well until you get to Jill McBain, who is a much more nuanced character who's tough as nails beneath it all. And you have finally a fully re realized female character, and it's taken him four movies to get there. Till then, you have literally Madonna's, like in Fistful of Dollars, where the woman's name is literally Maria, and the baby's name, the child's name is Jesus. Um, you go, you go from that to various whorish figures who are thrown about in his films, and and he doesn't give women any sort of depth until you get to the luminous Claudia Cardinale, which is another reason. Once Upon a Time in the West works. Although, again, it's certainly not a feminist movie, and the misogyny by today's standards is there. She is a fully developed character, and that adds a degree and a flavor to this movie missing from the others, along with a grand theme worthy of the usual technical prowess of Leone. Again, you get the tremendous close-ups and the long shots uh, that, that are his theme. You get perhaps even a better Morricone score, if that's possible. If Puccini could have been... Uh, some sort of been involved in film. That's what Mar Morricone's achieved to the point that each of the characters even has a little theme to announce their arrival. And almost never has music been so well put to a movie that, that's so in sync at this point are Morricone and Leone. That again, you have the great score, you have the close-ups, you have the long shots, you have the laconic figures, you have the over-stylized violence, you have time almost stopping 
All the trademarks of the earlier spaghetti westerns are there, but in addition now, you have a plot worthy of Leone's technical mastery, which up to now is something that's been lacking, and you have an actually recognizable female character. And the basic point of the story is that there's a single piece of land around Flagstone that has water on it. And when rail and when, when the, ra the railway baron played in an evil manner by the great Gabriel Forzetti, who was the architect in La Ventura, here as a crippled rail baron, he realizes that water is on this one property. And so he sends one of his henchmen, Frank, the odious Henry Fonda playing against type, to go scare the owner of the land, McBain, and his family, played by Frank Wolf. And rather than scaring him, Frank kills them all, kills the whole family, almost Manson-style, horrendous killing of the family, not knowing that Frank is recently married, and so all the land passes not to the evil baron, but to his new mail-order bride from New Orleans, Jill McBain, who comes to see the entire family wiped out. They lay this killing at the hand of a bandit Cheyenne, so Frank isn't involved, Jason Robards. And you have Robards slowly form an uneasy alliance with Harmonica Charles Bronson as they urge Jill McBain to stay and to take on Frank and the railway barons to control her piece of land. Again, for rule of law, for legality, for contracts, for all the things of modern life. And so that is the basic theme. Again, I think one of the glories of the film is that you finally have a henchman really worthy of of John Maria Villani's earlier efforts in the first two Dollars movies. And I'm, I'm sorry, Fonda seems fascinated at stamping on his good guy image. Rarely has a man so gleefully adopted villainy. And he comes across as sweaty and every movement is somehow despicable. He takes all the innate goodness that you've seen in such Sidney Lumet films as 12 Angry Men and his whole persona, and he gleefully puts it on its end, making a wonderful villain who is despicable just because he's despicable. And again, back to Leone's notion of an elemental character. And that's great to see. I mean, he, he's one of his he's one of film's great baddies. And who would have thought Fonda would play that part? Um, on the other hand, Bronson barely misses a beat. And I'm no fan of Charles Bronson, whereas I am of Clint Eastwood. Um, if you look at the rest of the filmography, Bronson never made anything really as good again uh, or anything close, whereas Eastwood went on to strength after strength from the Dirty Harry movies to the great directing abilities he had and, and even some of the films he made in the 80s. He became an icon of American cinema. Uh, I think Bronson never did anything better, but he's awfully good in this and plays the part of harmonica perfectly. And, th and that, went, that went just fine. So that works. And again, Robards is almost unrecognizable as one of America's greatest theater actors, but is perfectly fine as Cheyenne. It's interesting that they, in effect, divide the good guys between Cheyenne and Bronson, but but it works. And, and this is really an important part of the movie. Um, one of the things to say about it is that it's long, and this is the point, again, much has happened with the earlier, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Now that he has a budget, there are no restraints on Leone. And although this film is worth it, and I didn't feel I was wasting any of my time, this shows that later bloviated films 
such as I think the very overrated Once Upon a Time in America. The original cut was at four hours, and the studios just said, we've had enough of you. The this is Leone now without restraints. The kid's in the candy store, but he isn't sick yet. This is the key moment when Leone's still capable of making a fantastic movie like Once Upon a Time in the West, but the days of him being restrained in any way are fast coming to an end, that soon what what is length and operatic length is going to become bloviated, that this is the last moment there are any real restraints on what he's doing, and and to some extent this shows. Uh, the opening sequence where the three bad guys are waiting at, at the station um, drags on forever, and yet you don't notice it's so uh, intense is the style and so minute is the detailing. Uh, which is true in all the Leone films, the later ones, but it really works to great effect here. He slows time down with an ease and an assurance, and this is a director at the height of his command. But the great thing about, the last great thing about Once Upon a Time in the West is it's also a swan song that you can feel him saying goodbye to this genre that has made him one of the world's great directors, that he said everything now that he has to, to say that he's honed the style, the close-ups and, and, and the far shots. Morricone is at the top of his game. He finally gets to work with the movie stars he's always craved. He finally realizes a woman. And finally, for all this stylistic mastery, he has a theme. The end of the Wild West and the taming of the Wild West and the beginning of civilization. And he bids really a fond, affectionate farewell to the genre that's made him world famous and something really worth following. And so to this extent... The film is both the height of Leone's power and a swan song, and it feels like that, that this is the passing not only of the era of the West, but the era of the spaghetti Western.